Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening and welcome to the program. Tonight, my very special guest is Kate Claire Regerson. Kate, are you with me? I'm with you. All right, fantastic. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Michael. <laughs> Let's begin this journey together, okay? Yes. All right, my very first question to you tonight is what is poetry? Well, poetry is mindfulness in action. And when we find poetry in our life, then we can address our musicality that opens all our five senses, our emotions, our memories, and we can communicate in a way with ourself and with nature like we've never known before. I am a first-time poet in the last two years, and I'll tell you what, saving those scraps of paper really helps to get you going. Well, when you say mindfulness in action, it's such a powerful term. I don't think anyone's ever described it like that before. Tell me just a little bit more about the mindfulness piece. Well, the mindfulness is that when you sit down and you journal and you're just having a flow of writing and you just keep writing and writing, in poetry, you have a conciseness and really what direction you're going and that you can put this poetry in a a myriad of types of poetry that I've just started learning this last year and a half and that, that concisiveness helps you to develop your language in a way that you're really, um, more direct and and not just flow of consciousness, but a presentation. Oh, very nice. Now, here's a slight slant on that question. Why is poetry important? Why is it important? Well, poetry is available for everyone through the centuries, and it's in the written word, and it's also in the spoken word, and it's something that we can take a way where we follow history or political science or any of these things, journalism, but poetry allows us to take a very brief vacation in our creativity, where these other forms of writing, more formal, keep us on a tense note. Vacation in our creativity. That was beautiful. I love that. (laughs) I really do. What are some of the predominant themes of your work? Well, I would have to say nature and children and also um, peace for humanity as I follow uh, civil rights, civil liberties, civil justice, uh, civility in the world. And um, also I write about memories and things that 
I never wrote about, but they're just really in clarity on my mind and in my heart. And so I think we all need to tell our story. Oh, well, very nice. Please share a poem. I will share a poem. And I would like to start with this wonderful poem. And it is called For an Epigraph After Bob Coratori's Photography, A True Chicago Phenomena. And it is the Maxwell Street Sunday Gospel, circa 1960s. I'm going to hang in the 60s for a while here. All right. Sounds good to me. Where I felt a welcome, where my sad face was comforted with a smile, where the song of soul rose, where music was praised, where rhythm aligned with movement, where expression of life's joy lived, where I was not to go to that place of inclusion where my eyes learned to spark, where my voice learned to speak, where all the hope is prepared for the next day. Thank you. Oh, wow. That was a very powerful piece. It sure is. And I just think that uh, gospel anywhere is a wonderful thing, but singing and dancing and yeah, you, you watch it. I'll break into a song here. I have two more short poems that are a okay. follow-up from this, and I will continue if that's okay. It is okay, yes. Thank you, Michael. Witness, cool breeze of the evening, greets the sunset brilliance. History tempers the soul, for the past has taken its toll. Witness to leaders who break peace convergence from the past. Their conquest will not control the compassion we hold. Listen attentively. Live intentionally. Your ancestors speak. Yours is the pinnacle to peak. You're not alone. Echoes from then and now. The next short one is Peace into place. There beneath my feet is rich in dark soil. Many moons raised the old compost pile, digging deep to reap her moist, wormy worth, filling wheelbarrows, planting new beginnings. Their heritage long ago turned and toiled. A generation has left its earthly place. Digging deep into the rank and file, Goose stepped unwittingly for the commandant. There beneath my feet are old musty children's books meant for merriment, glee, and sleep. Sway learning lessons, dodging banishment, banishment as an obedient child, now outspoken, Reuniting in truth revealed, there survives a bond of grace between love and hope. May multitudes never cease to turn peace into place. Thank you, Michael. Wow. How does a poem begin for you? 
with an idea, a form, or an image? Um, I would say poetry begins with an idea, but images carry me away. So I love the ekphrastic poetry of going to an art museum and and often the workshop leader will say, everybody take 10 minutes to write, and I'll sit and diddle-daddle, and I'll write a few words down, and, and then they'll say, would anybody like to share what they've written? Well, I haven't written this thing, but it's all right there in my heart. So I stand up and I read something, and people just, I read from my heart, and, and people say, did you just memorize what you wrote? So I didn't write anything. Wow. What was an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power? Well, my mother and grandmother were both early childhood education teachers focusing on um, creativity, and they always read poetry, and they would read by memory, and they would read with their eyes looking up, and they would speak, and and then when somebody else would read, they would close their eyes. So as a child, I learned that, and um, I, it was all instilled in me. But uh, to be perfectly honest, I was more interested in running out and going climbing in the trees or riding my bike. And when I got riding a bike, I'd sing. When I got up at the top of the trees, I would sing with my friends. So it's hard to not get me to sing. But that would be an early experience, is just growing up with a matriarch of creativity. A matriarch? The way you speak is so eloquent. What is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? Because you come across with such power, such eloquence. Oh, my. Flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> Let's see. Um, I just... <laughs> I'm trying to find the differential. Uh, let's see. Um, that's something you'd change on your truck, the differential. Um, let's see. Um, difference. Uh, oh, I haven't written a poem about it, but I did have to learn mechanics as I would drive in a van cross-country exploring all beauty of nature. Um, I, I, I don't know, but I do feel that the spoken word is better for me. And, okay. um, yeah, that, that works really well, but I, I like writing. I, I really love writing. So that will work into having a chat book because I could have a chat book with a recording in it that you opened it up and I'm speaking. Now, there's an idea. <laughs> that is an idea. That is an idea. And, and, a, and, a, and a perfect one, to be quite honest. You know, all, <laughs> all great writers have great writing influences who are some of yours, and what makes them great in your eyes? I would have to say of the writers that I follow, the contemporary writers especially, have a vision for social change. Right. And they incorporate whatever aspect that they are studying and and they are dedicated to sharing their story, whether with complete seriousness or humor and musicality and breaking into song and dance. The, 
that is what attracts me to the poets. And mostly in this last year, through Cultivating Voices, I have met poets from around the world, and I feel mm. that I've gotten such an education. And my early learning of poetry was looking at National Geographics, and then that would give me ideas. And then I would write scraps of paper, and then they would morph into the poems that I'm sharing today. Well, what was it about National Geographic that drew you in? Well, it would be the articles and the pictures and um, uh, no, the, 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 the plight of uh, the people under the, uh, under the governments of, of fascism and control. And so um, I just think that um, National Geographic is a way to visit the world. And, and I didn't have to get on a plane. I have a lot of family that traveled around the world, and, and that wasn't one of my options growing mm-hmm. up. Um, but I, I do think National Geographic just was um, – it was my, uh, my, my mentor. And, uh, oh. yeah. Wow. Please share another poem. Oh, oh I would love to. Um, let's see. I'm going to share a little bit about nature, and then I'll get back to the 60s. Canyon de Chez. Remaining timeless, 1973. Blue, clear skies. Keen eyes navigate descending narrow hills and trails. Dried riverbed, welcoming winter warmth. Distant views across the Arroyo. Diné people descending. Narrow trails carrying harvesting baskets. A terraced garden, tall corn stalks joined an orchard. An adventurous spirit I am, I crossed. Overcome, suddenly, cloaked, a chill. Cliff dwellers in shadows, yielding dark western clouds billowing. Lightning bolts ignite the sky. I look back, Diné people no longer in view. Ground thundering under my feet. Whoa! Run fast back to the other side. Horses galloping around the bend. Racing ahead of swelling wall of water. Folding over, crashing in. Not to be trampled. Agility. Fear born. My fingers gnaw the rocks ascending the cliff. Hooves pounding past. Escaping flood. Water, wall of water, dissipating every majestic color stampedes. Thank you. Wow. Let's imagine for a moment that a poem is a cake, all right? What are some of the ingredients that go into making this cake? Um. Love and okay. loss. Love and loss. Um, hope and heartbreak. Topped with uh, 
chocolate icing and ice cream. All right. <laughs> <laughs> now that's a nice combination. <laughs> yes. Yes. Does yes. anything else yes. go into it? Anything else would go into this cake called a poem? Well, yes, it would. It would be your imagination. It would okay. be a, a picture book that you saw as a child and loved, and then you saw it again and went, "Oh, I loved this book." Or, yeah. So um, the the cake of poetry. Um, that's a that's a wonderful thing to to contemplate. But I do think that living a good full life. Mm. goes into that cake of poetry and always continuing on. So we live in 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 past and present and future goodness. So I would stir that cake batter up good. All right. Well, let's take a brief break and we'll be right back, okay? Okay, I'll see you later. All right. Hello. Hello. Sharon. Oh, lovely. Thank you, Michael. Um, In this group of nature poems, since I read Canyon de Chez, which is in Arizona, I am going to read The Fox and the Soul of the Woman. Lone fox in my yard stopped in his tracks, listening. Thoughts spelled out in code. No interruption. Night fox and a woman's soul, each late for the dawn, watching the clouds sail, listening in silence. Snowflakes fall gently. Dark sky stars ascend. Heaven sent, how will I know you? Long memory now. Fox listened to my thoughts, stopped in its tracks. Keen listening. I spelled out my code. There was no interruption. A lovely song rang out under night, fading moonlight. A fox and the soul of a woman await the dawn. Long-lasting, ancient echoes resound, weaving change for the best outcome in the round. I've heard so far the titles of your poems are really interesting. What role should the title play in the creation of a poem? Sometimes the title already comes out as far as that idea of looking at images, whether photography, 
I have a cultivating voices friend that posts his photographs uh, on email, and I write haiku uh, every every five days or so, and then maybe skip sometime. But it helps to look at at images, and so often I will write look at the title of his photography, and then the haiku comes from that, or I create my own um, haiku. So yeah. So um, in this nature series, I have one more poem to finish mm-hmm. off. Yes. And it's called, um, I was inspired by a woman, Haley Hassler's self-portrait. Nature's bounty. Earth and landscape, my circle of children occupies my love. Tree canopy echoes their laughter. Under sky brilliance. Shifting hues of blue, nature's bounty sails sounds of birds and breeze, turning their inner soul to the gentle dove. Abundant flower colors, goldfinch delight, this is our place of ease. My circle of children, each a chapter of me, solely a book unto themselves. My daughter serves sweets. My son slithers under my skirt for attention by surprise. My baby is content and secure on my thighs. My teapot and sipping to balance my head. My goal to never some come to defeat. Ocean fulfillment staring away from my landlocked bounty. No to ocean depths where my darkest secrets are cast. Octopus listens in my beyond. Eight arms serve the myriad of my chores. One lost, another will grow. Dissolved my sorrows to the alone below. Clean slate for tomorrow. Outdoors, my circle of children occupies my love. Thank you, Michael. You know, you stated earlier that poems in terms of a cake are, can be or could be made with love and loss, which means that there are a lot of emotions involved. Do you think oh, yeah. someone can be called a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? Uh, I think that a poet that has strong emotions that are not revealed may come from a stricture. And that stricture may limit their their talents and and their their abilities. So yeah, I think emotions are good. I may have um, an overwhelming amount. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, please, please share another. I can share another, and this one would be long. I don't know how our time is going. How are we doing here? We're doing great on time, great on time, perfect Okay. Yes. Good. All right. Well, this is um, back to the 60s, Michael, and this is four parts. Uh, The first three are free verse, and then there's one prose, and it is um, eight minutes in total. And here I go. 
from Wordsworth. For my last prose poem, Wordsworth says, Thought that do often lie too deep tears. That will be at the end. Here we go. Remembering Steers, 1963. Climbing smooth cement stairs, stepping on worn center spots. I was startled as a teacher's loud voice asked, what are you doing? Uh, I'm, I'm going back to my class from the office. Where is your class? Fifth graders are on the top floor. The teacher warns me, get back to your class right away. We all are being sent home from school. The buses are ready to load. I knew this was not a warning to head to the basement, not a bomb shelter practice. The teacher was crying. I was not in trouble, though. The teacher states, there's been an assassination. President Kennedy. I didn't know what that meant. 1965. New friend, new neighborhood, an invitation to join her family vacation. We arrived at the nation's capital for the annual Cherry Blossom Festival. Our high school marching band played, passing by our spectator bleachers. Permission was okayed as long as we stayed together to visit the Lincoln Memorial. Dressed in matching Easter outfits and hats, we climbed 58 stairs, signifying Lincoln's assassination at age 56 plus two terms. A group of children all different ages, followed us around. We love children. Then they surrounded us as the oldest asked, Got a dam? Her accent was so different. Excuse me, what did you say? She repeated, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't understand you. No, neither of us have a dime. So quick to a push, to a kick, to corning my friend, now the promise to stay together. I pulled my friend close to me, heading toward the guard. Sir, those children are hurting us, running towards us. Tell them to stay back and let us go. Navigating a 58-stair descent, arm in arm. Two nuns were walking together down below on the sidewalk. Sisters, I hollered. Sisters, please let us walk with you back to our parents. We all turn and see the children running down the stairs towards us. The nuns quicken their pace to scurry away. We stayed together. 1968, Cherry Blossom Festival. I am in the high school marching band, dressed in red and white uniforms. I play the glockenspiel. Spectators in the bleachers applaud as we pass. We are in step and synchronized for the competition. Evening at the 46-story marble Washington Monument, 50 flags fly. School buses have circled around, and we walk up the hill. Climbing spiral staircase with gusto, we ascend the spirited goal of 897 steps. There are 193 memorial plaques of stone. Oops, no time to view. We continue our quest. Faces so different and languages unknown from around the world. Smiles are exchanged as youth descends from their climb. Loud voices amplify, 
signaling danger, yelling louder. Everyone comes down the stairs. Turn around. Stern messages rebound. Faces have turned angry as word has spread. You killed the king. I knew who was dead. Our leader, the hero for civil justice. As the monument emptied, people running in chaos across the hill, I see a young man from the staircase, a moment of shared sadness and fear. Teachers guiding us to our school bus, one yelling my name. I was first up the stairs, now I'm last out the hill, running, not a moment to spare. Maltov cocktails strike the bus, driving away, instructed to stay down. I looked out in horror. D.C., street riots, fires everywhere, National Guard in full gear. Martial law proclaimed on the radio waves, no light at night. I had a dream, 828-1963, while protecting the rights for all sanitation workers, the king was assassinated. While standing on the balcony at the Lorraine in Tennessee, being a black leader. April 4, 1968. 1968 continued. I met a school group from Mississippi in the lobby of our hotel. They had been waiting for funds to get out of D.C. They had not had any food for days. I told them, we had the National Guard escort us to a restaurant down the street. Maybe I could bring back some food. No, don't do that. The rest of his group went back to their rooms and he stayed to talk to, with me. I told him, since it was no lights out after dark, we're going to go meet in the basement with our jazz bands, playing some music, and have a line dance. I said, I'll ask permission if we could invite your group to join us. Meet me back here in the lobby in one hour. Commended for being so kind and considerate. And I was told it would be fine to invite the group to join us. We were in the basement listening to jazz standing on the dance floor. Then the fellows from Mississippi came in, and I went up to greet them. The jazz band stopped. The ladies all went back to the chairs against the wall. I asked the jazz band, keep playing the music. I went over to the ladies and said, why aren't you willing to line dance? Our invited guests were already leaving as I turned around. And the fellow said they didn't feel welcomed nor safe. And he walked away with his back to me, and I followed him. Then I'm leaving too. No, don't follow me. He opened the stairwell door, but it didn't shut easily, and I kept it open. What's wrong, I asked. He told me. I could be killed for being in your presence. My uncle was lynched and skinned alive. I have no idea you were a white school, and your supervisor did not know you invited a black group to your jazz dance. Go back to your group before trouble starts. <gasps> Home from D.C. continued, 1968. As Wordsworth said, thoughts that do often lie too deep for tears. Back home, I went to the movies with my boyfriend to see Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. When he was walking me home, I said, that actor, Sidney Portier, looked like that fellow invited to our jazz get-together in D.C. 
My boyfriend turned his back and started to walk away. Suddenly, I fell backwards, head to the concrete sidewalk in disbelief and dazed. Did you just turn around quickly and arm swing your elbow to my head? Should I run to be struck down again? Word was out that I was against segregation and was more keenly aware of who my personal enemy really was. What I did not know about deep-seated racism is how the white race is ingrained with blaming anyone who is non-white with everything. So many white lies keep us apart. Thank you, Michael. I don't know what to say. That was epic. You took me places that I hadn't thought about in a very long time. That's what Wordsworth says, my friend. What was it like creating that particular piece for you? Well, like I say, um, I spent three days this week writing that. And that was this I, week? I, I was, it, it, this week. I just wrote it, yeah. Wow. I just wrote it. So I was doing, um, I, I do a house and pet sitting. It's a, kind of a joy because I, I love dogs. I really love kids, but it hurts my back to be carrying them around and piggyback and all that stuff. So the dogs, you know, we take walks, and so I get a little exercise. Ten days doing a, a house and pet sitting. And uh, I worked on that solid for three days. I tried to work on some other things. I, I have a wonderful poem that will be coming forth. And, um I might have to call you and share it with you, uh, right. but this po- this poem really uh, really struck my heart because everything that was in it had not ever been written, and it's in my memory banks. And the only thing I did look up with the internet was the number of steps, et cetera, just some details to throw in. But it really is about um, the beginning of. Um, of uh, what you would call bullies. And so I have a little bit of a follow-up from that very long poem before I start maybe winding down with my last poem. All right. So I I will read that. And this is a tribute to scraps of paper. For anyone that is not sure about writing, if you grab a scrap of paper and you write something down, put it in a tin. Hold on to it because I have scraps of paper that when they were trying to clear my mom out of, you know, her her place that she lived into a new place, they were trying to get rid of things. And my mom had boxes of the prisoners that she had counseled and all of the scripts of them and how she was going to help them and the letters she sent. And she helped people to get their citizenship and taught classes. I mean, my mom was a jewel. So, I don't want to try to pull teeth from family that don't have anything nice to say about her because this is how I've learned. But I saved on my scraps of papers, and this comes from a scrap of paper. This is less than a minute. Mishmash scrap of paper. Rid me of this loneliness. Send it off to sail the sea. This is not my company. Pack it up, the cargo of sorrows never to live in my tomorrows. Enough room beneath the starboard flanks. Who would crew this ship of shame? You there, climb this mighty mast. All the bullies that have ever been known 
all the bullies found out at last. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> Does writing energize or exhaust you? Oh, it energizes me. Like, is there any time to go to sleep <laughs> once I get writing? Yeah, once I get writing, and, and I just I wanted to do myself good and the listeners good for what I was going to be able to share um, on, on, with your wonderful invitation. Again, Michael, I just can't thank you enough. And my a year and a half of being on Cultivating Voices every Sunday, it's not like yeah. gospel, but it, we're <laughs> singing our hymn of all getting to know each other. And, and, uh, and, and it's a wonderful way to uh, travel. And if there's a word, it's called cottywumple. And cottywumple <laughs> is, cottywumple is a word that is, to travel with no destination known. What I feel like I've been doing is traveling, and um, I can't wait to have a passport and a plane ticket and make a travel. So, All right. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, a couple, <laughs> that's beautiful. A couple, a couple more questions before I let you go. All right? Yes. Just a couple. What have you learned about yourself being a poet? Um, I've learned that I'm too much. Mm. Tell me more. What do you mean? Well, I'm too much. I'm too much because I um, I had a retail store that I worked for 35 years, eight days a week, all the time. I'd have friends come in after they've been out having dinner, and they go, "What are you doing? Still open? Go home." I'm going, "Oh, why? What time is it?" So I was who whoever walked in the door was able to engage in the conversation with me. Sometimes okay. I would have to lock the door and bring a mother with some kids that didn't have winter clothes, and I spoke a little Spanish, and they trusted me, and I'd lock my store, and I'd walk down to the local Catholic church to Mary's closet to get them clothing and, and tell them in Spanish, it doesn't cost any money, it's free. And so that's why I'm too much, because I spent most of my adult life very focused and accomplished, but I lost that business. And so I'm too much. So when I want to read my poem or, you know, share it with people or, yeah. So I kind of, you know, maybe I overpower because what I would do full, full, full time, you know, mm -hmm. of course being, I've been home with the COVID. So that's why I'm too much. Yeah. So I hope I hope I'm not too much for you. Okay, no, so. you're not. You're not too much. You're You're, you're perfect. Absolutely. Okay, perfect. well, I got some Absolutely more poems. <laughs> yes. You've got some more poems? I do. Okay, share another poem. Okay, so what I need to say is there are some people that have really helped me along the way, and um, that is, uh, you know, just I, I had a list on my – I couldn't print it out, but John Kozalski, uh, he, he writes about uh, – being in an internment camp and his parents had been in Nazi Germany concentration camps and what it was like for his life. And so he does, he stands up, he's a poet, he's written many books and he, he writes and he says, we all need to share our story. And there's people that from the Cultivating Voices team that have opened us up to foreign uh, I, I don't like that word foreign, but, but poets from all over the world and they yes. speak in their mother tongue and then they, the, these, this team 
um, is translating. I just cannot even tell you how much I feel like I just have this big family. So this is my poem um, that I'll read um, before we run out of time. And it is my intro. May I study the magnificence of living on this planet as poet, inspired by each person spiraling through all they have learned, carrying the passion for peace. The epigraph is, New York-based Angelica Doss documented documented 4,000 portraits from around the world and matched the Pantone pixels of the human nose on the portrait. And Mm. we are all shades of skin color, all shades. We are not black, white, yellow, brown. We are all shades. And here's my poem. Everywhere we rise, we lift the veil century by century, no longer blind to bias, the root of suppression. We rise to reject the cruelty of people for property, indentured to poverty. We are done with the reign of tyrants raging in armies or in communities with vulgarity. We now, as seekers for humanity, outpace the tormentors of caustic infliction. We support the sovereignty of matriarchal equality, where power mongrels separate and divide with lies. We march for justice and freedom for all. We are not shells to be tossed to see. Our worthiness reacquaints our likeness. We turn the tide. We are the art of skin color. 2,000 in the Pantone Library for every artist's colors. We are now indebted to acknowledge 4,000. Humane founder and researcher Angelica Doss. We no longer pen in pseudonym. We thrive with education, giving us voice without retribution. We broadcast through ley lines worldwide. We build bridges, continent to continent for all people. Thank you, Michael. Wow. You know, Kate, so much is happening in the world today. And your poetry reminds us all of what's been happening and what has happened to all of us. What do you see as being the role of a poet in modern-day society? Well, I would have to say that for my experience, I've never studied literature. I'm not a very good reader. Mm-hmm. I've learned how to listen, so it's nice that I came to your listening radio show. And uh, I would have to say that these people, Mary Oishi and uh, Tanya Kohang and Amy Berry, they've taught me so much about Asian American Pacific Islanders and Martina, uh, and Martina McGowan and, and um, oh, geez, uh, Joy Harjo, our nation's, uh, you know, uh, poet laureate. And, and so all of these poets have taken me and 
molded me through what they've shared. So as poets come forth and they share, we are lifting each other. Hmm. And I, I, could name, I, could name, I could name 10 people. I do love the work by uh, William Wadsworth. Uh, Longfellow and his uh, tribute to Hiawatha and the trees. I, I write poetry about trees. I've written songs for children, and mostly a lot of my songs. I wrote songs for children about trees, and I have them stand up and put their arms out like the umbrellas of the tree. And, and so a lot of this goodness is that not to forget that people all ages are listening. And so give them a notebook, give them a piece of paper, write down anything you want or write down nothing and something will come of it. But save those scraps of paper. Wow. You are one powerful person. Oh, geez. And I'm a very short, stout, Polish, Irish gal. (laughs) (laughs) So never doubt power by the size, you know. Question for you. Question for you. I'm going to let you go. I'm not going to keep you all night. Do you think you were meant to be a poet? Absolutely. Absolutely. I just think that, you know, I think that, that being so attached to nature that I was always, as a kid, like I say, I would want to ride my bike or go to the trees. I'd want to go down to the swamp. And, and I ended up starting to write poetry about being at the swamp and, and, um, and crawling through the tunnels of the bushes as the autumn leaves and the sunlight was coming through. That's in my brain, but I was busy crawling through those tunnels and, and looking at, you know, tadpoles and, and enjoying the swamp, and, and then they drained my swamp. And so I write about all of these things that I experienced, and, um, and I, just, yeah, I just think that um, – there's a, there's a lot of wonderful things for us to keep learning. The, one of the things, people that I really love was um, the man who planted trees. And um, it was a wonderful, uh, it's a, a French tree pla- planter, Ezia Buffet. I don't speak the French very well. And mm-hmm. uh, he, he planted trees. And there was a, a army man that was off on leave, and he, he went and he found this beautiful valley and he would go to visit uh, back again. And so there's a wonderful um, animation. It's a Paul Winter concert. It has a musical accompaniment and it's narrated by Robert uh, Lertzema. And, and, and I just, I just absolutely loved it. And, and there's a wonderful author in, in Ireland and um, a Seamus, Haley, Haley, um, Seamus Haley, and, and he has written so many books, but he also has another animation, and it's about how he discovered the beauty of the migration of the the birds up in Northern Ireland, and, and he has since passed, but as as these wonderful poets pass, I am, I'm, a bit of them is staying with me then, okay? Yes, yes. What's, what's next for you creatively? Well, creatively will be when I go to Ireland. They've just announced uh, their poets laureate all over Ireland, and I'll be going to Ireland. I, I, I went with me mum and me sister 
in uh, 2000. And then oh. I was ready to go back again, and I bought a passport, and I had to keep working at that store that I loved. I loved the people. And then the passport expired. And then I got another passport. And then I got another passport. So I'm on my last passport here, um, but I have it expires, uh, let's see, December 22. So um, I will be uh, feeling pretty spunky and frisky <laughs> to um, not have to be too worried about COVID. Um, by the autumn of 22, I'll be going to Ireland and um, that's that's next, and, and I'll be writing a, a, about about Ireland, and, and I've already written about the, the beauty of Ireland. That, that that is, I've written it on my mind, Michael. It's written yes. on my mind of my experience. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to thank you. Your indomitable spirit just shines through. Uh, you're an incredible poet. I enjoyed listening to your work. I learned so much from you tonight, Kate. Really, oh my really goodness! Good. Well, I'm glad I started out last year here, you know, and uh, <laughs> I have so many more people that I I would like to thank. I have them written down. I'll have okay. to send them um, a postcard from Ireland. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I wish you nothing but the best. And again, thank oh, you. Oh, Michael, for thank you. Me. And and I don't know if you knew this. I don't know if I wrote it in my bio, but I did go to school in Washington D.C. So after all those poems, yeah, about all those poems about how tough it was in D.C., I said, that's where I'm going. <laughs> and you did. I'm going, and I'm, I'm going, and we're going to figure, we're going to figure some stuff out. And I did study, um, but I, I, I mostly fell in love with an Irishman. Then, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. All right then. All right then. But thank right. you so much. Thank you. I want to thank our listening audience, as I always do. I make the following statement. Let poetry ring. Be safe out there. Mm-hmm. Take care of each other. And good night to everyone. All right. <laughs> good night. Thank you, Michael. Bye-bye. Yes. Good night. Goodbye. Bye. You have just listened to the Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio Podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.